Today, in addition to being All Saints Sunday, we're still addressing, and this is the last Sunday in the series, Meant for More. And today we're going to be talking about going from next to now. You know, we're a people who live in the what's next, right? Don't we? Do we ever feel like um, that you're really not where you want to be? Have you ever had that feeling? Or that you're not quite there yet and what's coming? It seems like we lean so much into the future or into the next that it causes us a lot of mixture of emotions from anxiety to fear. Sometimes some excitement and anticipation is in that along with it. But overall, just a wondering, an anxious wondering of what's next. You know, how do we release our anxiety and fears and worries about tomorrow? And how do we have peace in the now? How do we live in the moment so that life doesn't just pass us by? That's what we're going to be addressing today from the prophet Jeremiah. A few weeks ago, I talked to you about Micah and how Micah and Jeremiah were two very unpopular prophets because they had a hard word for the people of God, but a word that the people desperately needed to hear. Jeremiah is addressing the people of God, the children of God, related to their exile in Babylon. And Jeremiah is in great pain and despair himself, and that comes through his message. He knew if he would confidently wait upon the Lord to help, that that help would be coming his way and the way of the people of God. And today we hear Jeremiah not in that, uh, that tough word of the prophet, but we hear him in that crescendo of hope in the 29th chapter of Jeremiah. For he's speaking on behalf of God to a beaten down people, to a people in a real exile, who are in the midst of grief because they missed their homeland, who were foreigners in a foreign land, and who wondered if God would ever deliver them. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the 29th chapter of Jeremiah. We're going to begin reading with the 11th verse, and let's stand for the reading of God's Word. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm. To give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. And if you seek me with all of your heart, there I will be. I will let you find me, says the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations in all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. A 
Well, that word doesn't sound too tough, does it? It sounds very hopeful and very uplifting. And the people of God in exile were needing to hear a word about the next. What's next? Some of the prophets were telling the people that the exile that they were in was going to be brief and that the loss to Babylon was only a temporary setback. And in essence, these prophets were telling the exiles, don't accept your captivity as your reality because God's going to come in and wipe out the Babylonians and all is going to be right and good. Don't accept this as your reality. Jeremiah, on the other hand, he understood the Babylonian victory to be lengthy and also the exile to be a long, long, long time. And it was not something that was going to end soon, but something that was going to last. And with that in mind, in the earlier verses, what Jeremiah says to God's people is this. So now you build houses, you plant your gardens, you marry and have children, and you seek the welfare of the community in which you live. For you're going to be here for a long, long, long time. Jeremiah said that we have to deal with our reality now in order to have a next that is beyond our imagining. Jeremiah's words are good advice, really, not only to the children of Israel of old, but they're good words for us to hear today, especially in the midst of heartache. Or what I might want to define this morning as a, a particular exile. We know that exile means to take one from a homeland into another land, a place where you don't want to be, to take you from that which is satisfying and, and familiar and move you to that which is, is, is depressing and is unfamiliar. But we deal with particular kinds of exiles in life. We deal with those circumstances that take us from the want to be and where we want to be to a place of will we ever get out of here? Therefore, we can relate to the children of God whom Jeremiah is addressing. An illness or a scary prognosis can bring us to a, a particular kind of exile. A broken relationship can bring us to a particular kind of exile. An emotional distress or dealing with a painful past can also bring us to a particular kind of exile. A financial crisis, the loss of a job, the loss of a business can cause a particular type of exile. A loss of a loved one to death especially the death of a child, can bring about a particular kind of, of exile. And so oftentimes we spend so much time and energy wishing uh, that the unpleasant thing that occurs in our life, that thing that feels like that particular exile, will just go away. Sometimes we even reach the point that we, we ask the questions of why as if people of faith are somehow immune from those heartaches. And we know we're not. 
people of God wanted that answer to the what's next? We need hope. What's next? And Jeremiah addresses them in the now. With a situation that he says, in the midst of your exile, here's what I'm going to tell you to do now. You build your houses, you plant your gardens, you marry and you have children. And you work for the welfare of the community that you live in now. And you hope for that God who has a plan for you, a plan with you in mind, a plan that meets you in the midst of your circumstance, and a plan that will redeem you and redeem the worst of circumstances. Now, there was a book written years ago. I've mentioned it to you several times because this book was so meaningful to me. Back in the early 1980s, the book was entitled Hallelujah Anyhow. It was written by a woman named uh, Deidre Crewald. She since became a professor at one of our seminaries. And this particular book was commissioned by the United Methodist Women, long since out of print. But thank God it was printed. Because Dr. Crewald, in her book, was addressing her particular exile. And it was, it was anxiety to the point of severe panic attacks that she had experienced after the loss of her very young husband who was on a mission trip for Christ and was electrocuted in a Central American country, never to return to her again. In her dealing with the what next, it, it, it caused her this uh, anxiety and this, these panic attacks that were absolutely paralyzed. And yet what Hallelujah Anyhow is about is about a prescription that she was given that she worked in her life. A prescription that I read at a time when I really needed it. When I was 26 years old and when we had a little baby and I was diagnosed with a terminal illness. What she said in this book is that we need to deal with the now. We need to name the source of our pain. We need to enter the pain without glorying or wallowing in it. We need to let the pain go eventually. And we need to witness to the power. Thursday night, Tammy and I were blessed with many of you to be at our 12th Step Ministry Banquet. What a great event. Celebrating 25 years of 12th Step Ministry in a church that's nearly 75 years old that has a nearly 75-year-old tradition of working with those who are dealing with the exile of addiction. You know, we heard testimonies from speakers who were in recovery and and they were talking about their exile of addiction in a way that they were all saying, to some degree, the prescription that Deidre Crewall presented. Each of them, in their own way, their own unique way, in dealing with their particular exiles, they talked about naming the source of their pain, whether it was drugs or alcohol or unhealthy sexual addiction. They told of how they entered that pain by going into a 12-step group that literally led them to a place of recovery. And each and every one of them talked about how they were able to let that 
addiction go? And they were standing before a room full of people in quite a courageous and bold way to witness to the higher power, as the 12th steppers say. And what a powerful time it was. The featured speaker was a pastor named John Featherston who has written a book entitled Never Alone Again. And he also pastors a church called Serenity Church. But when he was in his 30s, he had one of the largest Church of Christ pulpits in the entire country over in Fort Worth. He was preaching to thousands of people. And back in the 1980s, his sermons were printed and copied and sent out the old-fashioned way to well over 1,000 people every week. What an appointment he was in. Or as the Church of Christ would say, a call. But he said what my people didn't realize is this pastor in his 30s, this all-star, was so addicted to drugs and alcohol that he was cratering right before their eyes. He didn't know what was next. And what was next looked awfully scary to him. He said he started on his quest to find that 12-step group that was good for him. And he said he knew it wouldn't work in Fort Worth because he might be recognized. So he came over to Deep Ellum, he said, in a day when Deep Ellum was really Deep Ellum. And he found a group, a hodgepodge of people. And he walked into that 12-step group for the first time. And he stood before us to say, it was that first step, that naming the source of my pain, that led to a recovery that saved my life. You know, I looked up the Serenity Church and listened to the description of his church that's much smaller than the one it used to serve, but is starting to spring up in locations all around. Serenity Church is a place where broken and hurting people find healing. If you're suffering from hurts beyond your control, if life has become unimaginable and you do not know your next move, Serenity Church is waiting for you. Serenity Church is about dealing with recovery now. You know, the most important step that any of us in exile can take to recovery is a particular kind of acceptance that comes from naming the source of our pain and working a plan now. We can't go a step further until we accept the heartache and the pain that, that happens in our lives that many of us who are here today are experiencing even now. And we hear the word of Jeremiah that we need to build the houses, plant the gardens, marry and have children, figuratively speaking, and build the community, the welfare of the community, where we are. You know, what we have to understand is that no matter what happens, life goes on. And I don't mean to suggest that, that acceptance is easy or naming the source of our pain is easy. It's difficult. But I want to remind us that the hope that 
Jeremiah speaks about is a hope in the now. That is a hope uh, that a God who has a plan for us is a God who will redeem even the worst of circumstances. You know, as long as I can remember in my parents' home, whether it was in our, the home I grew up in or the home they built out on the farm, in the kitchen, always in the kitchen where life really began, there was a framed picture of a scripture from Philippians 4, the sixth verse. In living Bible translation, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank Him for His answers. That, that verse has been with me for so long, it's no wonder that I count that as kind of my life verse. But of course, a few weeks ago in August, when their home was destroyed, up in flames went that verse as well. You know, it sounds like such a little thing, but one of those little sentimental things that, that, that you wonder if you can ever replace. I've got good news this morning. The Zimbabwean Fellowship gave my parents a framed scripture text, a new one from Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, the 11th verse. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you hope and a future. My parents are in their 80s. And in that, that framed scripture text is so special to them, but the most special aspect was that all of the Zimbabweans, they wrote either a scripture text in addition to that or a blessing that they wanted to share with my parents and signed it. Virginia said, may the Lord bless you and keep you. God never quits. Edith said, be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged. God will be with you. Now these are people, I want to remind you, who many of them came from Zimbabwe fleeing a, a, an economy that had crashed and burned and came to this country refugees Jacob said remember God is good all the time and all the time now listen to what Anita said the Lord God Almighty never blinks his eyes over his children You know, perhaps you're thinking this morning, well, what about me? What about God's plan for me? You know, in this verse, two times, there's the mention of plan. Some translations have the, the plan mentioned three times. But God is giving us a plan. Now, I don't think that we see God's plan for us in the specifics as if every aspect of life is planned by God and as if there, we might get off track, you know, we, we, we constantly question and even have anxiety about are we really following the plan? 
think God's plan for us is beyond our imagining. But it's about us having abundant life and living. It's about our own unique and particular exiles that God knows about even better than we know ourselves and can enter that heartache with us and can transform it and make it a next like we've never imagined. For you see, the plan that God has for you in your unique situation eventually results. It's God's plan. You have a choice in this, but God plans for you to have abundant life. For your redemption from whatever the heartache might be. And your freedom from your exile. This relationship that we have with God initiates this plan with God when we join with God in, in, in approaching life. The plan God has for us for abundant life, for redemption, for freedom, unfolds. A saint that's not mentioned this morning in the bulletin is a man named Charlie Garner, who many of us who knew him, all of us who knew him, loved him. And Wednesday, his son Dan called me and told me Charlie was probably close to the end. So I made my way over to the forum and Ann was there, Charlie's wife, and Dan was there and we had a prayer. Now, it, it wasn't like prayers I'd had with them at 90-plus birthday parties. For those, prayers were always, you know, joy-filled and, you know, uh, wishing another year of wonderful life and living. And that's the only way Charlie lived was wonderful. You know, I've come to find out that if you live long enough, you learn about this thing. And Charlie used to laugh, maybe boast a little bit. I think I've got 100,000 miles on this thing. And as you can tell, if you can see, he was a proud Aggie. He has a license plate on this walker that says T-A-M-C-44. All Aggies say, yeah, whoop. You know, you have to have something to whoop about these days. And it says, I bleed maroon. Go Aggies, Aggie Dad, the big thumbs up, that has Charlie <laughs> written all over it. My prayer that I offered is his bedside because he was really unconscious was a prayer really for me and maybe those who were listening with me. It was just a prayer reiterating what we knew had already happened. God's everlasting arms had already embraced Charlie just like he, by faith, knew they would. You know, when I walked in the room, if you walked into Charlie's room, there was this humongous picture of Kyle Field on a game day with it filled to the brim. 
Charlie was the class of 44. He had a ring to prove it. He liked to sing a little song that I'd never really listened to much. I mean, I'd heard Dan and Charlie sing it before at Dan's prompting. Dan said that they'd all sung it with Charlie probably 100,000 times. Maybe you Aggies probably know it, but it's that song about I'd rather be an Aggie. I'm not going to sing it to you. I might get struck by lightning. Who knows? But (laughs) at the end of the song, it says, just rather be a plain old Aggie. No shirt, no tie. I'll always be an Aggie till the day that I die. And then Charlie would add his little part. It was a thumbs up and saying, I'm never going to die. 94 years old, full of life and vigor. Old Charlie knew he was going to die, of course. But that thumbs up was pointing to a, a next that was unimaginable that came through a man who lived in the now every day of his life. He knew what God's hope was for him. And he had a thumbs up kind of lifestyle. See, Charlie was part of the greatest generation. You know that generation. Some of you know it well. His undergraduate pursuits were interrupted by World War II, and he served in the Air Force, and and then he served a second tour during the Korean conflict. I was even told that he was in the uh, the Aggie band and, and even before that when he was a child in the Boy Scouts and his dad died on the bugle Charlie played taps at the funeral he became a lawyer and he worked successfully as legal counsel to a small company that grew into a big company And when he was 64 years old, he decided to retool his life. And he became a patent lawyer. For the rest of his professional life, he worked with entrepreneurs on their dreams. And nearing his 90th birthday, he fell and he broke his leg. And he had to go through surgery and then some very painful therapy. And nearing the end of his rehab, he fell again and and broke his leg again. He had to repeat the process, and it was painful. But Charlie, true to form, living in the now, he would tell his therapist, did you read the Dallas Morning News today? The headline said, no therapy. (laughs) Of course, they never bought it. But it was at that time that his beloved wife and he decided to sell their home and to move to the forum they needed to deal with the reality that kind of acceptance that Jeremiah calls us to work out in a plan he embraced that I will let you find me says the Lord and I will restore your fortune says the Lord and I will bring back to the place from which I sent you says the Lord See, Charlie knew that at the forum, when he was putting 100,000 miles on his walker, that God was still calling him to share the kindness and the goodness and the joy in his heart with everyone whom he met. And because of that, there was a steady stream, not just the preacher going into his room to pray, but every administrator, every staff person, 
In they went, one at a time. Praying for Charlie. Because he lived each moment in the now. Ultimately reminded today about Charlie. That he was God's before he was ever ours. And the next that is unimaginable for Charlie is the next of that eternity that he'd already experienced here in the now. Charlie had peace in the now and he lived in the moment in the present, real, deep, abiding peace, witnessing to the power with his life. And I guess the question for us is this. How do we face our exiles? I don't know about you. But I think like Jeremiah and Charlie figuratively I'm going to try to do better at building my house and planting my garden and marrying even though I've already done that and having children grandchildren and working for the welfare of the community because God has my next already planned out and if I turn over my heartache of the moment to him God will redeem it he promised will help us grow from it will cause us to see whatever the heartache is and put a license plate on it and enjoy life and in so doing witness to the power amen